You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. You know, I've been uh, meditating. I knew that we were leading up to having a baby dedication this morning, and it uh, wasn't just uh, Matilda Jean just so beautiful, and to have uh, Lo- Loya and Louisa here, it's just so wonderful to see them together as a family, and uh, it's been a while. I was looking at my, checking my notes. It was last year when we had our last baby dedication. It's been a while, and so it's so wonderful to do that, and I started thinking, because I've been watching the news and different things and having conversations with people, but how often have we complained about the generation that follows us? You know what it's like. You're thinking about that person that was serving you at McDonald's. You're like, oh, man, they're taking so long. They're so rude. I can't believe they even look at, look at me. Look at me. Don't look at my money. Look at me. You know, you're thinking these same things. Maybe you mocked their fashion. Maybe you laughed at their different outlook on life, or maybe you shook your head when they walked away from God. The question the Holy Spirit just planted in me is, but what did you do to make a difference in their life? What did you do to make a difference in the lives of those that you had influence over? How did you inspire them? How did you encourage them? It might only be one person, one young person. Maybe some of you have a wider influence. You've got 20 young people that you influence. What have you done with your influence? This morning, I'm asking a question. The title of the message is a question. How will you impact the next generation. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges and chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you have a smartphone with you, go onto your browser and type in Judges 2, put a colon, and do 1-11. Judges chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 11. Judges chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. While you're turning there, a bit of context. So where are you coming to in the story is at the end of the journey of the people of Israel. They left Egypt. They're out of the wilderness. They're into the promised land. They've been destroying army after army after army, taking down the territory that God had promised to them. And and Joshua's days are finished now. Join with me in verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bokim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt. And led you into the land that I swore to give you to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. But you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you that I will drive them out before you. Sorry, I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. And they called that place Bokim, which means weeping. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, 
They went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. We don't know where these places are. Listen to this in verse 10. After that, the whole generation that had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and serve the Baals. I want to challenge you with this thought as we're doing the baby dedication today. I'm reminded of this fact that we as parents have a, an obligation and a responsibility to disciple our children, to disciple those who are younger. And let me tell you right now, it doesn't necessarily have to be your natural kids. These could be spiritual kids. Remember, we're a spiritual family here. What are you doing to influence and to disciple the next generation that is coming after us? I find the story interesting right from the beginning. The Bible tells us in verse 1, and starts with this, the angel of the Lord, the angel, not an angel of the Lord. Look at those words, the angel of the Lord. I had to look this one up and ask that question, why is it the and not a or an angel of the Lord? This is what the commentators say. They say that this is perhaps the pre-incarnation of Jesus. This is the same angel that visited them, uh, Joshua, just before the battle with the Tower of Jericho. Same angel. And it's a very powerful thing when you begin to understand if this is the pre-incarnate Jesus coming to his people, he's saying, hey guys, I'm trying to give you another chance. You stuffed up. And I'm trying to show you, hey guys, if you keep going the way you're going, it's going to be disastrous for you. Your life is going to be hell. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a struggle. It's a struggle in relationships. It's a struggle in your finances. It's a struggle to keep your jobs. It's just a struggle out there. and You can't figure out why. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. If you put these things right, my blessing will be with you. God says, I am there with you. And I'll fight the battles for you. But if you walk away from these things, I can't do that. My hands are tied. You see, there's a reason why God wanted his people. Remember, God gave Moses ten commandments. Number one, love God and make no idols. The first one is right up there. Make no idols. Because God understands the condition of our hearts. The condition of our hearts, according to the Bible, is evil. It's wicked. I know you don't think that. We don't like to think that. Because... In humanity, in the world today, the worldly perspective is that everyone is good. Everyone is good. But the Bible tells us there is a wickedness in our hearts. In fact, it warns us, above all else, guard your heart. The Bible says, it adds to that, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So when you get these turkeys saying to you, do whatever your heart tells you. No, don't listen to them. That's worldly influence. That's a worldly perspective. Don't listen to your heart. Your heart will fool you. It will destroy you, the Bible says, because it is wicked in and of itself. And there's a world out there that is fighting for your heart. It wants to occupy your focus. 
The world wants to occupy your love. It's trying to steal it. It's trying to steal your affection. It's trying to steal your attention, your money, your time. And it's trying to pull you away until you are completely away from the Lord. You see, a good thing can easily become an all-consuming thing that will steal your heart away from God. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. Because of their sin, Israel forfeited every benefit that came from serving God. Here's the thing. We struggle sometimes with this concept. We want Jesus as Lord. I I put it to you, most of you have have at some point in time maybe said a prayer and said, oh, Jesus, come into heart. I'm sorry for my sin. Because you want him as Savior, but we struggle to have him as Lord. Why? Because we're thinking, well, it's a whole bunch of rules. That's no fun. I don't want to follow these rules. Oh, I like these rules, but I don't like those ones. So I won't do these ones. I'll, I'll pick and choose the ones I want. And we see that happening in the church all over the world today, where people are picking and choosing the laws and the commandments that they want to follow. But the idea is this. He's either the Lord of all or not at all. Either you follow all the laws or you don't do them. And we struggle with this because we have painted this picture, a very poor picture, what it is to be a Christian. You see, to be a Christian under the definition, ask the world today, they'll tell you. I did this in my old workplace. I used to work for an airline for almost 10 years. And I asked them, what do you think it is to be a Christian? They said, oh, you're religious. I said, well, what does religious mean? You go to church. I put it to you today, and I'm telling you with statistics and figures, about 60% of the church is present in our services at any given time. Not just Live City Church, every church out there, 60% will be coming to church. I grew up in the days, you go to church in the morning, you go to church at night. I grew up in the Word of God. I understood that. Many of you did. You were forced by your parents, like I did, to go to Sunday school. Back in the day when I grew up in Australia, Uh, some stranger would roll up in a bus and my aunties back in the day raised us up because my parents were missionaries to say, go to church, go with that strange man in that strange bus where we won't see you for hours. I have no idea what's going to happen to you and when you come back, it's all good. I mean, to think about doing that today is like, dear God, I mean, we'd need risk policies, risk assessment policies, procedures, sign this form. You'd never do that. But we did back then, pack the kids up, get into the bus, go for it. We grew up in the presence of God. We grew up knowing the difference between right and wrong. But there's a generation out there that doesn't know the difference. The younger generation, they didn't grow up the way you did. They don't have the benefit of kids' church because, like I said, 60% of people who say they go to a church. I mean, I remember over the years, I've had people say that. This is my church, Pastor. I love this church. Not this church, my previous one. I'm serious. It was a previous one. But they would be going maybe once every six weeks. But this was their church. They weren't going anywhere else. This was their church. But to them, they thought it was okay. I'm trying to tell you that either he's Lord of all, or he's not at all. Either it's the whole package or not at all. God loves you so much, he's trying to win your heart. He's saying that if you follow, this is the idea, the people of Israel understood this concept, whether they followed or not, was a choice. The Bible says that God commanded his people, follow all these commandments and laws. And if you do, he's Lord. 
I will do all these other things for you. The Bible says, I'm going to bless you going in. I'm going to bless you going out. I'm going to bless everything you put your hands to. I'm going to bless your savings account. I'm going to bless your company. I'm going to bless your business. I'm going to bless your marriage. I'm going to bless your family. You get the idea? The Bible even says, uh, you know, none of you will miscarry. None of you will be barren or infertile. I'm going to bless you so you expand and you multiply everything. Expansion and increase. We're supposed to be a people of the book. We have the Bible. It's got the instruction for life. The Bible says of itself, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, did you know that these same words I've been teaching in end times class is going to be used as a governing law for the new millennium one day. When all this passes away, Jesus returns, and he will. I'm telling you now, warning you, Jesus is coming back. A tribulation time will come, a time of cleansing for his people. And if you're still left standing, and you make it, through the new and you make it into the millennium, and Jesus returns to reign, he's going to use the Bible as the law. So we have every instruction for life and for living, and so that you can live prosperously so that you can have love in your relationship, in your marriage. Imagine being in love again, right? Being in love again. I love my wife. We went out for a date yesterday. It was so good. You know, we used to go to Oxley, and we had this one restaurant we went to, European restaurant, and they'd make my favorite breakfast. It's Canadian breakfast. Would you like to know what a Canadian breakfast is? It's pancakes with maple syrup and there's bacon, the sausages, and there's a, 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 a potato what, uh, hash brown. I mean, it's so good. You got a little bit of the sweet, got a little bit, you know, who, who knows what I'm talking about? That's the good stuff. I see a wave out there. God bless you too. And, uh, you know, so we thought, oh, that's closed. We won't make it. And then we decided as we're driving, it's date morning. We have it once a month. It's date morning. Where do you want to go? In the end, we said, Gold Coast. Let's go to the Gold Coast. The first place we go to, Canadian breakfast. I said, thank you, Lord. And as we looked at each other, and I'm eating this breakfast, I'm gazing into her eyes romantically. I said, I don't know if I was saying to the pancakes of my wife, I love you, baby. I just love you right now. You're a fine woman. You're fine pancakes. I love it all right now in the presence of God. It was so good. Imagine having that kind of relationship again. Imagine your kids loving you. They just love you. That's what God wants for you. Not that war that you have. Go clean your room. You did this to me. None of that. None of that. Dad, I love you. Mom, I love you. I'm blessed by it. I mean, by the grace of God, I'm blessed by it. I got a girl. My daughter's leading worship. The other one did too, but she went off and married. Took off on us. Went up to Gimpy. How dare she? I'm thinking, did I do something wrong, Lord? And God says, no, you did everything right. She got married, and then she went away. Praise the Lord. I got a son who's nine years old. I'm still raising up. And I realize all that time and all that effort every night in doing Bible studies with my children is paying off. I got peace in my home. I got peace in my heart. I'm in a great job. You know, they pay me to preach the gospel. Not you guys. I'm, I'm a volunteer in this church. I'm your senior pastor. I'm a volunteer because I didn't want to burden the church. Some of you are new to the church. You notice we don't take up tithes and offerings because only the people who are planted here are saying, you guys are mature in the Lord. You know how to give. But I get paid somewhere else, and they pay me. They allow me to preach the gospel. I love my job. I love my job here. 
I love serving you. I love my wife. My life is in peace. People ask me, why do you smile all the time? Why wouldn't I? It's good. It's good. But I ask around and I see some people and all they do is that every day for them is hell. See, friends, let me tell you this right now. On earth right now, this is heaven. The world doesn't understand it because they don't have the word of God to help them with their lives. They don't understand this is, this is great right now. This is heaven. But for some people, living right now is a hell for them. I'm telling you right now, in this community, every day is hell for some people in this community. Many, I would say to you. They don't even understand there's a very real hell that's way worse than anything that this world has to offer. And you can fix it right now. But because of their sin, the people of Israel forfeited every good thing that God had for them. And this angel, which is Jesus, is speaking to them. He says, now therefore I tell you, I will not dry them out anymore. I can't. And those people that I can't, that I can't drive out because you refuse, we, we, we don't have relationship. I can't go into battle for you. Here's the thing that we don't understand is that the moment that you are sinning, when you are into, when there's sexual immorality in your home, when you're into porn, when you're into these things, you're building an altar there. You're worshiping at that altar. See, God is saying to them, I command you to destroy the altars, but you left them standing and you're worshiping at the altars. I don't know if you understood this, but the reason why I was so attractive, these other religions, the worship of Baal and the Ashtoreth poles, was that the, the priestesses were actually prostitutes and the priests were, were prostitutes. You would sleep with them. That was worship. Of course they didn't want to give that one up. And so they left those things standing. There was always that constant temptation. When you are back into the drink and you're struggling, you know that you struggle with, with alcohol. You're an alcoholic. You get drunk all the time. And you still, uh, it's just, just one cup. It's just one glass. One glass won't hurt. It's just one glass. Okay, all right, I'll just have another glass. It's another one glass. So I've only actually had one glass. One glass then, one glass here, one glass there, and then I'm down. <laughs> it's just a glass. You're actually making an altar there. And then you're into the drugs. You're making an altar here. And it's not that God's saying, don't have a good time. God wants you to have a good time. He's saying, but that won't produce good times. The angel says, I'm not going to drive out your enemy for you anymore. And because they're going to remain there, they're constantly going to be a thorn in your side. Have you ever had thorns in your clothing? You ever walk through thorn fields? I was in New Mexico in the States. I had no idea. I used to watch these cowboy movies with the horses. And there'd be cactus here and there. They're everywhere. And when you get, they get stuck in your clothes. And it's, it pricks you all the time. You have to take your clothes off and take the prickers out. It's that bad. And he's saying, that's what it's going to look like. They're constantly thorns in your sides. And he goes on, he says, their gods will be a snare to you. Do you know what the word snare means? It's interesting, I asked around a few people, they don't know what it is. It's a trap. It's a prison. You can't get out of it. So the Lord is not trying to take away a good time. He's saying, no, no, you don't understand. Because you can't make, because of the choice you've made to make an altar that is not one of mine. You're making your own demonic altar here. It's a, a, an altar of sexual morality, an altar of drugs, an altar of alcohol, an altar, whatever it is. It might be just gaming, gaming to all hours of the night. Whatever your addiction is, you're making an altar there. And God's saying this. He's saying there are consequences to the decisions you make, consequences to your sin. In Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us, for the wages, the consequences of sin is death. 
It's not that he doesn't want you to have a good time. He's saying, hey, look, the law provides a boundary. Like I'm looking at this blue boundary here. If I stick within this boundary, I'm safe. I can go right to the edge. I'll be safe. It's okay. But the moment you cross it, things get hard. And so God steps in. And he begins reminding his people, said, do you remember the days? Do you remember what it was like? The angel says, I brought you up out of Egypt. Therefore, it can't be an angel. It has to be God because God brought them up out of Egypt. And Egypt is always a picture of bondage and slavery. Those people, they had to answer to masters from the time they woke up in the morning to the time they crawled into their pit, what they called home, a bed at night. And God's saying, sin is the same thing. It's a trap. It will keep you in bondage, in chains, and you're constantly stuck to it. How many people I've met over the years, I understand it. Guys, we're struggling with porn. It's just, we're trying to get away. I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm going I'm to turn to God. I'm going to turn to God. This is what I want to do. I want to be broken from that. And the next minute, they're back into it again. They say, Pastor, what do I do? And I'm telling them what the angel told these people. You have to break those altars down. Smash that altar. Get rid of the apps. Put protection on your phone. Have some accountability. The things that you can do. But God is saying to them, hey, I've got a way out for you. And the angel that appeared, the Bible says, was the angel of the covenant at Gilgal. Do you know what happened in Gilgal? Gilgal was the first place that the people of Israel, when they enter the promised land, that's the first place where they stepped onto, onto good ground, dry ground. And they made camp there. And in that place, Joshua realized, if we try and go to battle tomorrow, the way we are right now, you see, the people of Israel were commanded to circumcise because it was a sign of a covenant saying, hey, this is an outward sign that God, I am after you. I will follow you. I will obey your commands. And they weren't doing it. None of them were circumcised. So imagine, gentlemen, as an adult, getting a snip, how difficult and painful that is. But it was better than the pain that they would have had had they gone into battle without the Lord. The Bible says today it's not about that kind of circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. See, sometimes we say these prayers, and we do this all the time at Live City. I want to give people a chance to make their lives right with God. And I offer them this opportunity, and they do, but unless it's a prayer of the heart... Nothing changes. And so this angel is reminding them, remember that pain that you felt at Gilgal? Remember the promise you made. Where are you today? What are you doing with your lives? And this moment when the angel appears, it's God himself appearing before them. They're shocked and in awe. And they remembered how things were in the past and what God did for them to this day. And the Bible tells us in that moment that they began to cry out to God. There was a conviction that came upon the people. He says, don't you remember? I led you. See, God wants to lead you. Not because he gets a kick out of bossing you. Not that he gets a kick out of making your life miserable. Not so. He's trying to lead you into every promise he has for you. And the Bible says that the people cried out to the Lord because of the deep conviction 
of their heart that they were being unfaithful to God. In fact, this I'm saying, they called a place a place of weeping because of the tears that they shed. This was a national conviction. The entire nation is convicted of their sin. It was an opportunity for reformation to come and revival to come to the people because it was so profound and so great that they were convicted. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. You see, conviction without repentance only affects a temporary change. Conviction will lead to repentance, but you can be convicted and still not repent. You can be convicted and still not change. It was only six verses later, the Bible says, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. How is this possible? Here's the thing that really gets me. Joshua 24, 14 tells us what Joshua actually said when he was departing. He said this, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites here in whose land you're living, choose you. But he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Everyone say, yeah, we'll serve the Lord. But look at this passage. Not long after this, the next generation, Joshua's own children, not one served God. When it says the next generation grew up that did not know God, Joshua's children did not know God. How about the high priest? How about his children? Not a single child of a high priest, not, not any Levite, serve God. No one serve God. What happened? Leonard Ravenhill makes his comment. He says, I read through Hebrews 11. These staggering men and women through faith, they subdued kingdoms through faith. They wrought righteousness through faith, obtained promises, stopped the lions. Women received their dead, raised to life again. All the devilish things they endured, and no one in that time actually had a Bible. Well, in God's name, what are you and I going to do when we stand before God? When I get there, I'll have to face up having the whole revelation of God. I've got the Bible, the entire revelation. They didn't have it. Finney didn't have a bigger Bible. Wesley didn't have a bigger Bible. But somehow, they got nearer to the heart of God. They got a revelation from God. They got conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they laid their lives on the line. Verse 7 is quite sad. It says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. But after that, they stopped serving him altogether. In the absence of godly leadership, God's people turn away from him. You probably know someone who stopped going to church. Just was one week. It's sports. One week. It was family came to visit. One week. My friends came to visit. One week, I needed to give the family a break. How long before those same people, others, I mean, they, they actually leave the church because of offense. They leave because they're hurt, they're disappointed, occupied by the pleasures of life or the demands of career. And they refuse to go to another church. How long before they are cold in their heart and fully away from God? It's a shorter time than you actually think. 
And I've seen this sadly happen over and over again. LifeWay research data shows that about 70% of young adults who indicated that they attended church regularly for at least a year in high school did in fact drop out, 70%. But here's the good news. Of those who left, almost two-thirds returned and currently attend church. But what about the one-third? 33% of 70% of young people never returned to church. Here's what I found really interesting. There are three factors which are the most predictive in determining which teenagers stay in church. Here's factor number one. This is what they wrote. I wanted the church to help guide my decisions in everyday life. Young people, those kids, are being taught the difference between right and wrong. They're being taught what temptation is. They're being taught what evil is. They're being taught what good is, what being kind is. So that when they face a situation in life, they know they can come to the house of God and get answers. That's factor number one. Factor number two, they said this, my parents were still married to each other and both attended church. Your marriage is keeping your kids right before God. So if your marriage is under attack, fix the marriage. I could tell you some stuff, and we'll save it for another day. I usually do this in marriage counseling, but we, we struggled in our marriage too. We've had to make it work. We worked hard. I'm proud to say we're more in love with each other, not just because of the pancakes. Factor number three, last one. At least one adult from church made a significant investment in me personally and spiritually. You see, when you don't go to church, you, know, you may feel incapable of leading your own children. Here's the thing. There are people here constantly speaking into your children's life, encouraging them. How many young adults come around and teenagers have asked me questions? They're struggling with major life decisions, and they come alongside, and I have a chat because they don't want to chat with their parents. Kids do that. It takes godly discipleship from parents, both physical and spiritual parents, to help children grow in their walk with God. It is intentionally and purposefully setting the example and teaching our children the ways of God. I really want you to lean in for this last thing. I'm finishing off. Just listen for a moment. Lean in. If you won't parent your child... And if you deprive them of the same opportunity you had for godly instruction, there's a world out there that will swallow your children whole. We were here on Thursday night, and one of the teachers was sharing. She had come out of the state school system. I taught there back in 2016, 2017 in a state school system. It's changed even since I was there. She said, we have to teach agenda that is so immoral. We have to tell them about things. Forget the evolution. They are teaching that constantly, constantly, constantly. But now it's sexually immoral stuff. I can't even mention it here. And they're training your babies while they're in primary school all the way through high school because it's embedded in the teaching. You think that they're being raised the way, the way you are? It's not happening. It's changed significantly, so deceptively sown into their lives. Let me finish with these thoughts. If you don't disciple your children, the world will disciple them. If you won't lead your child, the world will lead them. 
If you won't love your child, the world will love them and you won't get them back. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.